three game developers drinking good herb tea. I'm your host for today, Fauzi Mesmar. And I'm Osama Dorias. And I'm Rami Ismail. Well, look at that. Look the at that. three of us. Back three. again. Back again <laughs> in our business. And this time it's not like Osama and me and Fauzi is also there. No, this time. <laughs> yeah. This time it's full three Habibis. Actually, I think this is going to have to be a Fauzi episode, your Fauzi. <laughs> <laughs> we have to make up for the last one. Where he was you also had there. a week. Now you know why I was so tired. <laughs> you had a week. Wow. Yep. What'd Tell us all think? about it. It feels like another E3, right? Like we got yeah. the Ubisoft Forward happening um, a couple of days ago from the time of recording this. Yes. Uh, we just watched uh, Nintendo Direct. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the there's uh, a... As a PlayStation thing later tonight. Yep. Yeah. It's like a, an old, a fall E3. There's two of them now. So so was this on purpose? Did all these companies come together and were like, hey, this is the week? <laughs> I don't think knows, so. I, I, think, <laughs> I think in general, everybody is just getting ready for like end of year season. Yeah. And three months tends to be a pretty good amount of time to sort of like set everything up for that. So... Your your explanation makes sense, but I like mine better. Your yours is better. That there's a secret. Uh, there's a secret cabal. Yeah. There's a secret. Uh, I mean, uh, between uh, UB uh, and Nintendo, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. Because they're working together on some stuff. But yeah, the, that's the, true. Maybe Ubisoft is secretly the leader of this whole thing. <laughs> no, no, we all know it's Gabe. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> the secret cabal of the game leading it yeah no surprise kind of like secret ruins uh, somewhere but, uh, okay i just need to i need to i need to what is it like uh, what's the opposite of rant i need to gush about mirage yeah oh, yes. uh, absolutely what did you guys think there's a lot I, of arabic in that game yes <laughs> i checked all of it frame by frame <laughs> I'm super excited for it. Let's like, see if this has to be embarrassing. But, nope. <laughs> How about that logo? Yeah, that logo is absolutely amazing. I'm going to order a shirt with it on it. I'm, I'm just trying to decide t-shirt, hoodie, or both. Probably both. Both. <laughs> yeah, I was browsing the hoodies myself. Like, oh, I should yeah. have more hoodies. I don't even wear hoodies, but I'm I'm buying these one. <laughs> you gotta frame it put it on the wall it's just so good like just the, you know like the 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 idea of doing the assassin's creed logo as arabic script calligraphy is just mm. yes mm. and then the execution was so good so subtle yes by the very talented uh hatim arafa who is also egyptian by the way egyptian no. calligrapher that i mean just incredible work like who would have thought? You know, like um, Ibrahim, Ibrahim Hamdi, who did the logo for the Habibis, is is partially known for redoing game logos in Arabic, right? Mm. On this yeah. one, he, he's not going to have work because it's it's already done. We're good. <laughs> um, it's incredible. It's beautiful. It's so well done, and all the, um, the there was more advanced calligraphy as well. I remember. Um, it's so cool to see some of the fans unearthed it, though. Mm-hmm. Like a calligraphy-shaped yeah. um, snake, a scorpion, and a bunch of other animals, yeah. and like Arabic calligraphy style. I, I could, it. I really, even with the sentence like deciphered from the uh, from the images, I could not read it. It was so well <laughs> done. 
It was, it was. Uh, truly yeah, a I little I had to puzzle. put them side by side to be able to see it. Right. It's so perfect. Also, just like, what a beautiful rendition of the setting. Yeah, um, absolutely. You could tell there was a lot of attention to detail, a lot of love in that. It's Baghdad, it, baby. Yeah, yeah I know. Baghdad, well done. you know, when I see it in video games, it normally doesn't look like this. <laughs> no, right? Nope. Normally it looks a little different. A little bit different. A little different. No, yeah. but like, what an incredible time as well to, to set the game and what an incredible setting. Like, um, you know, like uh, Baghdad as a, as a city has a remarkable history with both a lot of parts that are really well known and then a lot of parts that are also not super well known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that for Assassin's Creed, that's like a playground. Yeah. There's so much you can do, right? And like so many historical figures that you can interact with in that kind of setting. So, yeah, that'll be awesome. If I can't manage a day zero purchase, it'll be at least a day one purchase. That's for sure. Wow, that's cool. It's just so cool to hear like the reception has been so positive. Um, especially because it's like a return to root uh, style game. Like, you know, it's not a lengthy RPG like uh, the other ones. This is like a more classic Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the reception has been very positive. Yeah, I, mean, I just I want to get wait. lost in Baghdad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I can't wait. I mean, I I've I've been a huge Assassin's Creed fan since since the beginning, but I I will say I've been sort of falling off the Assassin's Creed bandwagon just because those games are so much nowadays. And I think <laughs> I read an interview with you, uh, Fauzi, where you were talking about how how the you're aiming for the games to be more focused again, or for, mm-hmm. for in general, sort of the slate of games to be more focused. And I think that's exactly what gaming needs right now, is just games that dare to be good at a thing. Yeah. Instead of trying to be a little bit of everything. Exactly. Like, you know, you, you, one game can't have, it, can't have it all, right? So we got to make the choices that fits the type of people you're making the game with and just commit to that. Yeah. And that means that, you know, like the people that you are making the game for, it'll be exactly for them and they'll be happier. And that's fine. You know, like that's, uh, it's making those decisions and make sure that you deliver through on them. I think it just makes more focused and better games as a result. Exactly. That's like basic uh, part of game design theory is that you can't make a game that pleases everyone because of different elements, mm. there are different player types, and different elements of games appeal and don't appeal to the same player type. So it's just impossible. So like you said, find your target audience and just make sure you appeal to them. And the same franchise can have different games that appeals to different target audiences. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Exactly. And in the same franchise, like in the same announcement, like the way we have like this game that's coming out for like a, um, a classic Assassin's Creed smaller experience that is not a hundred plus hour RPG, but there's also like that kind of game on the way mm-hmm. um, in feudal Japan that was just uh, announced as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's room for all kinds of different experiences within a franchise, but you can make like you know the type of game that fits the different type of audience. And yeah, I'm really excited for that one too. Is that the Red the Code yeah, Project Red? Red? Yeah. yeah. I am super excited about that one as well. I mean, as as y'all know, Ghost of Tsushima was one of my favorite games of 2020, maybe my favorite game of 2020. And it had a lot of clear inspirations from the Assassin's Creed uh, formula. 
So I'm really curious to see how something like like the same setting or a similar setting is going to work out in Assassin's Creed. Yeah, um, I have high expectations. <laughs> have you guys uh, played Origins when it came out? Yes, I did. I liked uh, the, Origins. Yeah, but, uh, I'm now replaying it. Like you know, I got so hyped over the Assassin's Creed week, <laughs> uh, and the Origins was on Game Pass, and I was just I'm going to check it out, mm-hmm. uh, replay it basically. And, uh, you know, like the Rami was saying about like how Baghdad was never like, you know, interpreted this way. It was super mm-hmm. cool. Also, like, you know, wandering the streets of Alexandria and how that's interpreted in that game. Yeah. as like this, like, you know, this like, this is an amazing city. I will want to live there now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like, it'll be amazing if there's a city that's like that. It's lush, it's green, it's technologically advanced. There's all these buildings. There's a lot to see and walk around. So I, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> It'd yeah, be cool to see Baghdad kind of like being explored by players in that way too. So I feel th- this is going to be a little controversial, but I actually really like the change to RPGs for Assassin's <clears throat> Creed. The last three have been some of my favorite <laughs> Assassin's Creed. Oh, and wow. every time I, I see think, the majority, I don't think of... it's that controversial. Actually, I don't know because I mean, a I lot just, of players I mean, love these games. <laughs> I don't think it's controversial. I just fully disagree. Yeah, and that's okay. It's okay to disagree, but I liked it. I thought it was it was fine. It, like uh, I think the progression system in those games was interesting. It tried something new, especially in Origin, which was the first one, because you could either pick up new weapons and do that race, or, or like getting a better weapon than the one before, or you could stick to their same weapon if you like the, the the weapon style and just keep upgrading it, and you have the same weapon that you started with, just getting better and better. I loved that like the the agency that you get the, the that gives the player and somehow it felt balanced like i only had one playthrough so i don't know for sure but it didn't like it's good enough that i didn't feel like it wasn't working when i was switching between one or the other so that i liked they gave clear feedback when you were too weak or or too strong to fight an enemy which was enough for me so i'd be like okay uh, I'll try to to defeat this one who's like five levels higher. And if I failed, it was fine. And if I succeeded, I was happy. Like, it, 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 I think they did a good job. Like, it's not for everyone. I admit it. But I love those worlds. I finished all three games. I put in 50 plus hours in each one. Um, mm. The last one, because you, it takes like 60 to beat it. So <laughs> I didn't have much choice. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, to me, I have zero complaints about the RPG elements. And the other way around, I actually like them more. I I remember I played Origins. I finished that because of Egypt. (laughs) Then Odyssey, I just dropped off halfway and watched the rest. And then on Valhalla, I didn't even begin. Wow. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I I can't do another one of these. Like, just, it was, it's so much and so big and so, like, I don't know. It it never felt like the, the, the developers really had the content to fill the hours with. And I love, for me, Assassin's Creed, like a large part of what I love about it is the history and the world, right? The the the, the rendition of worlds. And this is something that they've gotten right since the original one um, is that the world feels historically accurate enough, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> um, but then having to go through it like 11 times catching six fish to feed to somebody who then gets eaten by an alligator uh it's just yeah okay cool i guess um and i never felt you know this is a me problem and i i fully acknowledge this me problem but if if i have an rpg and it adds something to my list it has to it has to happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and assassin's creed like odyssey adds a lot to your list in like the first 30 minutes of the game and i was i just looked at it and i'm like yeah no 
I can't. <laughs> I just, I cannot. I, so, I, you know what I'm made not me it. not do that? It was like the, the, the Bethesda games, like Skyrim. I, right. I used to be the power gamer. If you're going to give me a thing, I'm going to pick it up. It will go in my inventory and I will sell it later because I don't like waste. And <laughs> after like five minutes, I was encumbered with like plates and forks and apples or right. whatever. And I'm like, okay, okay. All the <laughs> cups. All exactly. The cups Ex- exactly. Like, okay, that's not going to work. Now I'll only pick up valuables. And even then you run out of space. Or like I'm now I'm picking up the valuable of valuables. But that actually changed the way I approached everything. Um, like I remember specifically, I think it was Oblivion that really, really turned it around for me. Where from that point on, I look at a quest, I'm like, that doesn't seem interesting. I'm just not going to do this. And I keep going. Um, to the point that I, I've mentioned it on a previous episode, I often, if I have the option, I switch games into easy mode. And the reason I do this is because it allows me to bypass a lot of the grinding. I Going straight to the content that I see, see as interesting, being low level, the balance kind of works out most of the time. And I'm able to get through the game faster and keep... I, I have a problem with not finishing games, right? I think a lot of us do, but I have it like to a point. So that allowed me to engage with it differently. And I think that's part of growing as a gamer figuring out yeah. how you should approach games, what you like about games and what you don't like. So I, like... I know you're, you're still young, Rami. Give it time. <laughs> yes. When I, when, I find, when I finally get old, I'll get back to you. <laughs> There's a, I feel like, you know, like I, I don't know about you guys, but I have this pressure that I have on me that, that I don't think it should be there, but I'd self-impose, so to say, in which like I want to play as many games as I can during the course of a year. And I want no, I to play not. and I want to play as many of the games that come out in the year as I can as well. Yeah. So so like, you know, I I very rarely would I play a game as a completionist. As much yeah. as I want to, like sometimes I'd be really like drawn into a game world and I want to finish everything. But then I think like, okay, if I want to finish everything, that's 30 or 40 more hours yeah. and I need to play all these other games. And I keep stressing to myself that my mind processes need, uh, which is a you know a weird way to look at the hobby. You know what I mean? It's I like, mean, no, yeah. I'm the same, man. Like, I, you know, for, for me, it's like uh, I play most games for like... 45 minutes to an hour and the stop and I, then I'm a completionist for the one that I don't stop on. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. That's very much my style. My style. I think you fellas, you, you play a bit more of a game. It sounds like most games you get stuck in for like two, three hours. Didn't yeah. you, uh, d- didn't you end up playing, uh, what's the game? The San Barlow game? Yeah. I, I yeah, played the immortality actually. Hmm. You did? Uh, I played maybe like four hours of that game. Wow. Something okay. like that. So I that haven't beats finished my one hour. <laughs> I haven't finished it, but I played a lot of it. Because also I want to finish games. And I like you yeah. know, I make right. I make a point of like I put ten to fifteen hours a week to play games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if, uh, especially when we make games, if we don't play them, we might lose uh, touch of the thing yeah. that got us here to begin with you know exactly and every, and every time i'm playing other games i'm so inspired and like mm-hmm. excited even when they don't work for me because i go like oh man there's all these people doing cool stuff um and it's, it's just inspiring to just see the industry like booming yep. and stuff happening all the time yep. so i need to make the time to play games <laughs> and that's why like you know when i get a game i try as much as i can to at least finish it uh, mm-hmm. if i could 
So Immortality is, I think, is one of those games that I will end up finishing. I think, like, I, I'm going to put an hour or so this evening. I think that'll be that. Huh, it's a, it's an interesting game. You, you guys played it, right? Osama, uh, I remember you spoke about it because you played yes. it for an hour. I, yeah, about I'm, an hour. I'm yeah. skipping on it out of uh, out of halal concerns. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, the, I don't think I'm going to go back. There's nothing really there that's pulling me back, but uh, yeah. we'll see, maybe. So it's the same creator of uh, her story and right. uh, telling lies, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played. I played both. I finished both, mm-hmm. actually. And I think, like, um, uh, to just describe the game for for people who are listening, it's like uh, there's like a mystery of an actress that uh, disappeared, mm-hmm. and she made a bunch of movies. And uh, you play as some kind of movie editor that goes through all kinds of uh, film. And you watch clips of the movies, and then at any point you can rewind a movie or or a clip, um, and you can see things differently if you play some clips uh, in rewind mm-hmm. mode. And at any point you can freeze frame on the clip and click on a face, and it will take you to another clip um, that has a similar face. I say a face, but it could be a person or an object. Even you can click on a cup and it will take you to another clip that has the same club, uh, cup or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the gameplay. And I think that's the probably the biggest uh, criticism I have towards the game. So yeah. I, I, I like the, the, the mystery and the intrigue. I like the idea that when you rewind some clips, you can um, see things... For, for from a different uh, perspective, let's say, so I don't spoil it. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is that mechanically, um, it's just that you're clicking on things, and then and the the game has no way to remind you which stuff you clicked on and which stuff you didn't. So it's become an exercise of, I guess, from a gameplay point of view, it's just uh, it feels a bit like going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in a, in telling lies, for example you still have to figure out keywords to sh- to search for in the software. So mm-hmm. at least there's that part, there's this uh, gameplay part where like, oh, I figured out the keyword or, oh, I figured this out. Mm-hmm. There, is a, there is a puzzle that you figured out as a player. Whereas that, like this game, hours in at this point, I'm just going through the clips, clicking on faces or things. So there's, it's a bit pixel hunty. Yeah, so to say. it is. Uh, there's also the aspect of haram that uh, <laughs> that's what we were talking about. Uh, this this game is uh, I don't know if it's completely already. There's nudity in this game. There's sex. Uh, there's uh, sex scenes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. That's, I, don't that's... I don't mind that existing per se. Like you know, I don't mind sex yeah. being a topic of conversation in games generally. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made it difficult I, for me to find a time to play it as well <laughs> so, yeah i guess yeah, if, like, you, if you have kids around that's yeah, a tricky one to play. Tricky <laughs> so it was competing with like other time like time i could be spending with my wife alone and that kind of thing uh like and i'm not saying anything like I'm, i have not given it enough of a chance in my opinion but i did what you were talking about the mechanics i felt that too i felt like it wasn't like it didn't appeal to my tactile senses you know what i mean i i, I wanted a mm. little bit more um, and uh, the, the parts that were that I did see seemed interesting, but there was no beginning of a mystery that kept me wanting to find out more. There was yeah. too it was too subtle at the beginning. It's like yeah, you know, like the thing you learned right at the beginning. So I, um, 
it's not a spoiler really because you've learned it in the first minute, but like someone died. And that's mm-hmm. what you're trying to figure out, I guess, who and, and why. Yeah. Um, but you don't have an emotional attachment to this someone who died. You don't know anything about them. And so after like playing that first session for about an hour, I, did, I wasn't any closer to figuring out the mystery and I didn't really care so much to go back. So I think they could have done even narratively a little bit better to give you a hook. Um, her story did a better job of that just because you see I her. think so too. Right, yeah. you know, just that. Like you're you seeing her in the video right away over and over and you're like, okay, now I want to know her story. <laughs> her story. That's all it took. This yeah. was- and also like it starts off with the right clip, I feel, in that yes. game to really put yes. you on the track of investigating. And yes. also it's because it's the same person, but different settings and all of that stuff. It added to the intrigue. So I was like, oh, I wonder what the background here. I wonder what this is. And, and all of a sudden like you're... Uh, your instincts are on. You're trying to figure yeah. out the mystery. Yeah. Um, uh, the the in in uh, immortality, it uh, it's an art house project to some extent, and yeah. uh, theatrical in a lot of the ways the characters are portraying the, that mystery. Um, and to the point that I think it deliberately weaves between the the real and the surreal in some way. Like, what is the real thing of the movies in the game, or what uh, what is the what really happened in real life. And I think when that is happening also within the concept of the game, it kind of loses, uh, loses instead of gaining. So like, you know, mm. it, it distracts a bit more from the game's ultimate message I found. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Uh, I still intend to go back a little bit. I just want to see something there to yeah. be like, oh, that's what everybody is, is liking about it because that's the part that's intriguing to me. Uh, same thing happened to me with plenty of games like breath of the wild i picked it up right away uh Mm. and i dropped it like right right away as soon as i saw the weapon system i'm like i didn't like it and then people were kept talking about how good it is and i picked it up again and finished it twice Uh, like so i fell in love with it elden ring famously yeah i left it five times (laughs) so so like sometimes when the game is like popular enough, I really want to like give it another and another shot just to see. Uh, and this is in that category. I don't know when, but I'm I'm gonna give it another try. Uh, yeah. That said, it just didn't hook me. There was nothing. I was uh, you mentioned telling lies. That's the one I didn't play. Uh, I played her story. Yeah. I didn't play telling lies. Um, where do you think it fits in between these two uh, games? I think uh, her story is still the best one. So okay. I think if you and. I telling lies is better, I think, so far than immortality. Okay, uh, just so because it's, it's, there's, there's a bit more gameplay there. But yeah. that said, I think uh, telling lies is the weakest story of the three. Ah, interesting. In my opinion, like I thought, her story was the best story, and immortality tells a better story to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, wasn't a big fan of telling lies story wise. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's actually mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah, okay. I have a, I have another hour to go on immortality or something mm-hmm. like that. I think from what I've seen online, so I probably will end up finishing it mm-hmm. uh, over the next couple of days. But yeah, um, it's I'm not sure. Like hard for me to recommend. I think like of mm-hmm. uh, of Sam's three games, her story would be the one for me. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Thank uh, you. Okay. But other than games, I've watched a TV show that is based on a game. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is uh, the new Tekken TV show. Oh, how Netflix. is it? Is it how out? is it? 
Um, it's called Tekken Bloodline, to give it the actual name of it. It's so, animated, right? It's animated. So the, I think it's it's uh, it's 3D animated. You know, like it's um, it feels like it was made in the Guilty Gear engine. <laughs> uh, I see. Is it convincing? And it's very 2D-ness? convincing. Oh, Very good. convincing in his 2 Dness. Yes. But also like there are this, sometimes with like, you know, they do things with the camera and you see that it's 3D and you go like, oh, it's like it's like Guilty <laughs> Gear all over again. I I really hope more games start making using the, those techniques that were in Guilty Gear to do something like that. Because I was a really big fan of the art style, but yeah. not so much the game itself. So anyway, <laughs> that's a different side. Talk about Tekken. Let's find out so, how you like okay. it. So this uh, this show is based on uh, events of Tekken Three. Yeah, which is probably the Tekken game I played the most in my life. I'm a it's Tekken a- fan, by the way. I played a lot of them. So uh, mm-hmm. Tekken played- Three is probably favorite as well uh and i'm not i'm not particularly a tekken fan i just like fighting games in general but tekken 3 is probably the one i played the most i played a lot of tekken so uh tekken 3 is the one i was the best at i would have to say like you know we played local tournaments and stuff like that when tekken 3 was on Mm -hmm. uh i played a lot of tekken 4 a lot of tekken 5 skipped Mm -hmm. 6 completely and (laughs) came back to 7 you didn't play the uh, brawler mode in 6 uh, no, I didn't play anything in six. Okay. Like I think I skipped it entirely. Oh wow! And uh, play, I didn't play any of the tag games. Uh, so I that's, see. that's my history of the franchise. Uh, but uh, Tekken two, I played a lot, and Tekken one uh, was mind blowing. Yeah, it uh, was for me. Absolutely was. And it's uh, super cool because I have a very good friend whose first game was uh, Tekken two, and by first game I mean the first game he worked on. Yeah. Uh, so we had a lot of we had a lot of conversations about like you know the the inception of Tekken as a franchise and all of this. That's uh, amazing. Uh, we can we can talk about that at some point, but just like a, a quick uh, anecdote that I find very interesting. The, the 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 series started when a lot of people left Sega and moved mm-hmm. over to Namco Bandai mm-hmm. back in the nineties, and the people that left Sega were on the Virtual Fighter team. So a lot of the the you know the 3D fighting movement uh, mm-hmm. kind of started by a lot of the same people, yeah. which I find fascinating. It's the same thing happened with like Street Fighter and King of Fighters and Fatal Fury and all those. Like the same people who worked on Street Fighter Two went on to SNK and made Art of Fighting and Fatal Fury. So it's, it's fascinating how right? you see that uh, DNA like, where because it got that know-how of like you know animation blending to button yep. uh, presses and um, you know like that uh, the different approach towards uh, fighting game. It was like maybe we should make a fighting game and that doesn't have fireballs and yep. you know super super moves in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so uh, back to the show. Tekken Bloodline tells the story of Tekken 3, which is a very convoluted story if you've been watching the, the game <laughs> in the series, uh, which involves Heihachi throwing Kazuya in a volcano, then K- Kazuya coming back, making a deal with the devil, <laughs> and uh, all kinds of like weird, like from the intro movies of those games. The story feels wild. <laughs> <laughs> There's always somebody climbing out of a volcano, it feels, at the beginning of those first three games. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a bunch of people being thrown in the volcano in this one, which is, you know, great. <laughs> and, Very accurate. Um, and it follows Jin Kazama. So this is like the story of Jin, his mother June, and Heihachi uh, being um, weird, you know, like um, bad, but good, but mostly bad. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's like the you know everybody showing up like yeah, your favorite characters like there'll be King Paul Huarang Ling Xiaoyu and um, Ogre. That's exciting. <laughs> I can't wait to, a, to watch it. So do you recommend it overall? Uh, you know, if you if so if you've never played Tekken and not interested in the in the game series at all. You will watch it and you probably think to yourself, what did I just watch? <laughs> Why do they keep throwing people in volcanoes? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> my question you'll ask yourself quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you just like at some point were at the friend's place and mashed the buttons playing Eddie, <laughs> um, there's a lot of nostalgia in the show to keep you going. It's not a Good. long show. I think it's uh, it's six episodes. I'm adding so it to a, my list. I'm excited. It's a, it's a Rami sized show in which, like you know, <laughs> Rami doesn't want to watch long uh, long shows. They were just you know small enough to enjoy. Well, like I six like, episodes, six twenty minutes episodes. That's pretty much a movie, which is yeah, good exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's fun, and especially if you like you know enjoy Tekken at some point, <laughs> it's <laughs> um, it's for you. You know, just watch Hachi throwing people in the volcano. <laughs> I can't wait. It's exciting. Yeah, but that—that that was me. Like you know, the, I managed to watch a show and play a video game, which is way more than I thought I'd be able to do with the week like I had last week. Yeah, uh, I don't know how you get any of that done. <laughs> um, you know, there's time on flights and uh, late nights at the hotel room when you want right. to connect. You know, fair Absolutely. enough. Yeah. What about you guys? Oh, who um, wants to go first? Are, are we playing rock paper scissors? I'll uh, go first. I'm the right. host. I'm the host. Faust is going to say. Thank <laughs> you. Osama. I'll take yeah, it. Oh, come on. If you're just going to agree with Osama, why would you claim? <laughs> this is like a weird power play, Fauzi. He sounded, he sounded so powerful. I was scared. I, okay, yeah, no, I understand well, that. It's, it's more than I... He's very I, intimidating. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of things that Fauzi did and recommended somewhat uh, that I picked up on <laughs> because I added to my list. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch I, it because Fauzi was intimidating? <laughs> Maybe a little. Right. I uh I played Trek to Yomi. Oh. oh. Yeah, it's the uh the Japanese uh like Kurosawa inspired 2D fighting game uh side scroller. I it's kind of hard to, like how, there's how two many modes. words are we going to use? It's cuz it's like <laughs> 2.5 for the combat parts, but it's actually kind of like um not you can move. You have free movements for the not combat part, so it's kind of it, it defies genres in some ways, right? So it's, if it's this was pitch practice, you would you would get a fill from me. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. It, it's a weird kind of platformer game where you fight a lot. It's kind okay. of a cross between a fighting game and a action adventure <laughs> in a way. Um, but like, it's black and white completely. It has a lot of style. And this is the interesting thing about it is that I l- instantly loved it at the beginning. I'm like, wow, I love the 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 sound design, I love the visual design, I love the the, the setting, uh, really liked the the combat mechanics. And then I was like, this is this is going to be one of my favorite games that I played this year. That's how that was my starting impression. And then as I played, it was just more of the same, more of the same, more of the same, and I quickly lost interest which is sad because it had such a strong start to me, but it remained the same throughout in so many different ways. Like, yeah, it introduced a few new combat mechanics, but you didn't really need them. You were able to just 
kind of the first few things you learned got you through most of the fight. Uh, I played it for two or three hours, by the way. I think I'm halfway done, halfway through. Um, the emotional curve is flat. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it starts off a little bit like, oh, cool, you're, you're, you're training. You're going to be a cool samurai. And then bad things happen. And then more bad things happen. And then more bad things happen. And the entire rest of the game that I've seen so far is just bad things are happening. And that, that's not a good emotional curve because you don't even when you succeed, you don't feel like you succeeded. You just feel like more bad things are happening. Um, and that is kind of like the metaphor for the game. It's the, you know, strong start and then maintain the rest of the way, which I thought, I thought was really a shame. I think it could, there's a lot of potential. I think the team pulled off a lot of things. The combat was simple, but but well executed. Um, the the art style was really cool. The like a lot of the details, like the sound effects and the music, really sounded like it was an old Japanese movie. It was very nostalgic without being nostalgic um, because you haven't played the actual game. Everything was good, and then they just kept it the same for too long until I was like, oh, I'm just gonna go see more of the same. It's, I don't know if that was your impression, Fozzy. But that was mine. After a couple of hours of it, I'm like, I, th- I feel like I've seen it all. Yeah, when when we spoke about it, uh, I think uh, that was uh, some time ago. Yeah, I got I got the very similar impression. It's 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 cool to get to see that uh, you know that uh, aesthetic in yeah. living that way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it uh, it it like that uh, that 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 spark that to keep it going in that way. Hmm. Agreed, agreed. Um, so yeah, there was that. The other game that I played is called Noita. Oh, Noita. Noita. Yeah, Petri Purho's game. I, I, yeah, I'll take your word for it. Uh, don't, I don't <laughs> know who the developer is, but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, the way I would describe it is what if you took Terraria, but instead of like you know the the two D voxels, if you if you will, like the 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 uh, cubes. Instead, you had pixels. That's pretty much what the game is. Everything instead of like you're you're mining a cube or you're breaking this cube, you're just like affecting everything. Is kind of like a set of pixels that that interact with each other based on rough rules of physics. So if you burn a little thing over here, the fire will spread to these pixels and only those pixels. And if you put it out, then it'll form the, a smooth, like circular uh, uh, surface where those pixels were burned before. Um, <laughs> so if you don't know, actually, maybe I should start by explaining what the game is because I said it's like Terraria yeah. and then I moved on. Um, so it's kind of like a procedurally generated uh, dungeon crawler, kind of like Terraria, where you're like, you have this wizard who shoots spells. Um, and you could collect items and destroy enemies, and you're digging deeper into these dungeons. Um, so in that way, it's very similar to Terraria. And then, like I said, if you replace the cubes to, with pixels, so it's, everything is a little more um, chaotic, like the, less controlled. You don't know exactly how it's going to uh, pan out. And then you just have those systemic rules of water does this, fire does that, electricity does that, that kind of thing thrown in. Uh, it's a fun time. Um, if you like that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about it. It's not like, I didn't think it was revolutionary or or game-changing. It was a cool experiment. Fun You're playing to, it on the Steam Deck as well? Uh, yes. Sam? 
Uh, actually, no. I, I bought it on Steam to play it on my Steam Deck, but for whatever reason, it's not appearing on my Steam Deck, so I actually played it on PC. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but, like, I, I don't know if it's actually mean that this is the first game that I bought with the intent to play it on my Steam Deck. I bought it from my Steam Deck, but <laughs> then I had to go on the PC to install it again and play it. Huh, that's, that's weird. It should yeah. it should be on your uh, it should be on your Steam Deck. I think it's a bug or something, but I don't see it. Or does it have a Linux build? Maybe. If it doesn't have know. a Linux build, it won't show up on your Steam Deck. So maybe that's why. I'll have to look, investigate. I didn't care enough to. I just was like, ah, whatever. I'll just go play I, it over here, and I play yeah. it over there. I I really like uh, Noita. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. No. I mean, the the team behind it is a superstar team. Uh, it's uh, Patri Purho who did Crayon Physics. Yeah, Oli uh, Oli uh, um, um, Hariola, who mm-hmm. did the Swapper, if you remember that one. Which I do was know, like I remember the, that one. It was yeah, super that was good. good. And then Arvi Taikari, who you might know as Hempoli, who did Baba Shu. And Baba Shu is wonderful. So wonderful. it's okay. it's the three of them. I think they started a studio, and I think even the studio was called uh, I think it was Nola. And then the engine that they made it in was called uh, like like falling everything. Because, mm-hmm. like Osama described, it's sort of like a, um, a cellular automata. Like every pixel affects every pixel, and the physics sort of like roll through everything. And a large mm-hmm. part of the roguelike part is just trying to not accidentally blow yourself up. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I failed multiple times. But yeah, right, that's and that's very fun. much that's very much what the game is. Uh, but but I do like that it's it's sort of relentlessly a finish game. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Finnish, uh, everything is like Finnish mythology, <laughs> Finnish mm-hmm. like storylines, Finnish everything, and it it's just a really Finnish Finnish game made by very Finnish people. Um, <laughs> Are you finished with this pun? <laughs> no. What's up? You're just getting started. <laughs> but, yeah, no idea. It, it, it was. It was very well received, I think. But uh, it's it's honestly, I think they're still. I st- I think they might still be updating the game occasionally, which is incredible because it's like, what, three years old by now? Is it? I didn't even yeah. know how old it was. Yeah, I think it was GDC nominated back in 2019. Uh, yeah, or IGF. Yep, yeah, came out September 2019. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. Strange strange game. Uh, it's very much hate or, you know, love, love or hate kind of game. Um. But I don't it, think I was either love or hate. I was more like, oh, okay. <laughs> I moved uh, on. Uh, I, I played it for, again, my typical one hour. That's how right. long I usually give a game. And then I'm like, okay, that was cool. It was a fun toy. Yeah. No, Noita, I, I mean, I'm not going to say you should play more because it's really not the kind of game that you should play more if it just doesn't catch you. But mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun in the sandbox of that game. Good. Um, it was actually inspired by a very old Finnish game. Uh, did you know that there was sort of like a also a, a Finnish game, right? And it, I think it's from like the light, late '90s, and it was basically a real-time version of Worms mm. called Liro or Liero. I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, uh, it had a very similar like pixels affect everything thing. Uh, oh wow! Well, I didn't really cool. look that up. That's like a '98 game. Wow! '98. Wow. Okay. Then I had a yeah. break. End of end of the '90s. Wow. I've never seen um, this before. I've never heard of this game before. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you know, I think in general, the this was before games made it across the ocean often. So the European games history is very European and the North American games history is very North American. Mm. 
and it it wouldn't be until a bit later that especially like smaller indie games started moving across the ocean. Mm-hmm. So um, you will find that a lot of the games you played, if you played indie games from that era, uh, yeah. are not the same games I know, and vice versa. That's so interesting. I'd love yeah. to exchange notes. The Wikipedia of that game says it's uh, described as the real-time version of Worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's exactly what it is. And the word Liero is Finnish for earthworm. Huh. Now that I don't know. <laughs> I believe it. I yeah. found it by typing Liero worms. <laughs> that's <what I> <laughs> um, Very cool. Speaking yeah. of old games, you know what game is not going to get old? Which game? Babylon's Destiny? Fall. Oh, yeah. I Square Enix is already this. shutting it down. It's been a bad week for Square Enix, hasn't it? Yeah, that was that's really sad. I know people. It's I, I so haven't sad. even tried that game, uh, but I heard so many people like hate on it so much. I feel so bad. Like, it's, yeah. no game that deserves that much ire no. for just existing. A rare platinum games miss, I guess. But, so what uh, happened? I missed these this news. UB, um, UB is shutting the servers down. Game is not even six months old. So. Yeah. Um. Basically, it didn't take off. So, six months in, they announced six more months of support. Uh, Square, um, Square yep. Enix, yeah, uh, Square Enix. Yeah, they're they're closing the game down. Six months old. Yep. Babylon's Fall is what it's called. I don't think yeah. I yep. played that. Wow, it sounds like you haven't even heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't, I, I had I had quite the week. I'll remind you. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was uh, this was like big announcements when it came out, but like yeah. the, just it completely. F- it basically flatlined on arrival. It was yeah, it was like, instantly dead. Yeah. I mean, there were articles about a journalist who decided to play it because nobody was playing it, and for a while they were the only person playing it. Apparently, yeah. wow, what a shame! That so, looks like a big game. Yeah, no, it was yeah, huge. Lots of content. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, right. Basically, nobody played it. It wasn't oh, okay. good, apparently. Mm. I don't know. I never tried it. I mean, I lost a desire after I saw so many previews saying it, it was bad and not worth yeah. your time. That's uh, for Square Enix. That's the second bad news for the week after their uh, their new NFT uh, their NFT uh, news. So I, I can't believe they're still going forward with that. I mean, it's just very funny that the company that developed the whole idea of Shinra is going to Shinra. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> they mm. should just rename themselves to Shinra. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, in terms of games, I'm still playing. I'm still playing Stacklands. Oh yeah, uh, oh, we spoke about that last week. Yeah, I added it to my list, but I forgot to play it. Very it's good. It's very very good. <laughs> it, it gets it, better. I, it sounds. <laughs> yeah, it, like you know, it has that perfect mix of like RNG and a bit of that alchemy. Like, oh, what happens if I put this and that together? And um. A lot of the roguelike part of it is um, is knowledge, mm. right? So oh. you can make specific combinations or recipes that make specific things. So after like six games, I found a recipe for how to make infinite wood. Mm. Uh-huh. And now I can just keep making wood and it simplified the game a lot. But now I'm getting stuck further down in the in the game where the amount of monsters that's spawning is sort of like beating my ability to train villagers into soldiers so now i need to figure out how to deal with that so i'm just playing and having a really good time with that game it's it's super super good i need um, to pick that up man like the, the way you speak about it makes me excited it's so good it's it's so simple it has that like 
card games shouldn't be that juicy honestly like just the amount of like feedback that is in there is just incredible it's a very very good game um that is also pretty much the only game i played i watched um i watched rings of power third episode um yeah it's it's good it's it feels very um feels very genuine i will say the third episode was probably my least favorite one uh there were a bunch of like big moments in it that are very important to the narrative but as a whole it just didn't feel very cohesive i think um but uh you know my my biggest worry with the with the series has been that i'm worried that a lot of the chess pieces are being positioned in the same way as lord of the rings so you know like here we have the king who doesn't want to be a king. Here we have the the elf that goes against their uh, people's uh, people's expectations. Here we have the curious hobbit. Here we have the proud dwarf. Here we and I know that a lot of them are archetypes from the universe, but I feel like maybe they're a little too similar. Mm-hmm. And I think the third episode finally sort of gave a okay. Here's how here's how we're gonna diverge. So I'm very excited for number four, but um, yeah, three was was not my favorite. Just beautiful, really, really lovely, having a good time with it. Um, same thing with She-Hulk, still just having a good time with it. Um, yeah, I'm loving She-Hulk as well. It's exactly it's so what I was hoping it would be. It is. It's just like does not take itself seriously in in a way that I appreciate. It yep. still fits into the broader MCU universe. A lot of nods, a lot of jokes. It's perfect yeah. for me. Even joking about the jokes, like yes. it's just it's super good. <laughs> did, did you catch the uh, the Hulk one? The, the I don't know if I could I could say anything about it without spoiling it. But he didn't. I haven't it. seen any so uh, any of it, so don't spoil it, please. So the, yeah. I, I won't spoil it, but just watch. Like when when Hulk says a specific thing, it's a nod to the old movies. I was on. The yeah, floor. I saw that. Yeah, I I, I was laughing a lot too. <laughs> That's super awesome. good. Super yeah, good. Lots of fourth wall breaking, but that one yep. was subtle and so subtle well done. Yeah, oh, I loved it. I loved yep. it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. it. I think when, that was episode two or something. So yes. it's very early on. Exactly, it's so good. I'll start watching soon. I need to yes. catch up on my Marvel stuff. Your Marvels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you watch Thor yet? The movie I did. Yeah, we yeah. spoke about it on the show. Oh, you did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah. It's now on um, Disney Plus for those who haven't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I watched it in the theater. I think. I yeah. did too. Yeah. Yeah, um, we spoke about it. That movie is a swing and a miss sometimes. Yep. 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 Um, let's see. I got new headphones, but sounds like I, the third time you say this this year. Yeah, like, how many I, headphones do you get? I, <laughs> I really care about my headphones, okay. and I, I specifically the um, the Urbanista Los Angeles ones I had before are just really cool, and I really wanted to support that idea of making headphones that are charged by solar solar power. power. Mm. Yeah, I remember that's those. just incredibly cool. I love it. I hope to see more tech like that. It's it's just amazing. But Urbanista is not exactly the brand that you go to if you want really good audio. So I did something silly. I went to a headphone store, like a good, like respectable, like you can try every headset that you want. And uh, I made a mistake. I made a really big mm-hmm. mistake. I put on their like 
showcase top model most ridiculously expensive headphones and uh yeah they're they're really good <laughs> so i now own headphones that are so expensive that i'm embarrassed to even talk about it <laughs> and, and yeah here we are <laughs> yeah so we're it. just not going to mention the price uh they're super good though they're the they're the if you if you really want to google it they're the bang and olufsen h95 they were created uh to celebrate their uh i think 95 year anniversary or something uh so as a design the, brand what they called again bang and olufsen yeah bno bno h95 uh-huh. And uh, they're basically their summit headphones. They're the the best they can make, and it, it was just staggering in the store. I was wearing the Sony XM thousand um, or uh, five, and those are generally considered like the best headphones you can buy. And I put Holy on the moly, Sennheiser. Yep, <laughs> put on the Sennheiser Momentum four, and those are meant to be like the replacement. And I bought those, and I just returned them immediately because they were so disappointing. Um, I tried the Shure Ionic 50. They were nice, but they were heavy. They were unpleasant. And then I was just I was just browsing, and I put these on, and I hadn't even looked at the price, and just instantly you listen to the sound, and you're like, oh, my God. This hmm. is beautiful audio, right? Like, all the tones are good. It sounds incredible. The treble, the, the, the bass, like, everything is space. It breathes. And I was like, I want these. And then I looked at the price tag and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Would you be able to use those on a flight? Yeah. Like when yeah. you're flying, I mean. Uh, yeah, you can. You, you'll have to, you know, buy the part that you need to put. So there, there's basically sets that convert any headset to an airplane headset. Mm. Um, so yeah, I could do that. Uh, I just have my flying, I have my flying headphones yet. Um, these are beautiful, though. I'm I'm super happy with them. If you have too much money to spend on headphones, <laughs> I would really recommend checking them out. But really, just don't buy them. It's a terrible <laughs> idea. So um, you were deciding between buying this or an airplane, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Speaking yeah. of airplanes, um, my my final thing for the week. I have I have a fun flight coming up tomorrow. My uh, my Ooh. mom went on a little holiday. And uh, she went um, to the east of the country, uh, found a little place to have some time. So no Horizon updates from her this week, which is really <laughs> sad for me. But um, she um, basically there's a there's an airplane, uh, there's a pretty big airport nearby her. So I'm gonna fly over to her. We're gonna fly around in uh, Germany a little bit, and then uh, land back down, have some lunch, and then I'm gonna fly home. Wow. And it's just kind of ridiculous, and I'm very excited for it. So <laughs> love that. That's cool, man. I love Have fun. Yeah, it's gonna be nice. I'm um I'm I'm just very excited to do more flying and especially like somewhat more complex flights. Mm-hmm. So um I'm taking every excuse I can get to do flights. Fauzi, I need you to give me an excuse to fly to you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Get, like the problem is that you need good weather to fly, to fly, yeah. and uh, th- that I can't provide. <laughs> no, no, especially on the direction I have to fly to get yeah, to. You. Gonna come north, we'll rarely have good weather, so I'm gonna yeah. need to fly south and then yep. get yep. you to fly over. <laughs> that sounds good to me. We can make that happen. Awesome. Yeah, that's we it. Can. Let's 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 talk about it. Some let's email about it. Yeah, man. Ah, speaking of emails. 
Nice. Uh, it's been a while since we've done one of those, but um, you can actually send us emails to this podcast at infatahabibis.com. You make Osama very happy as he's it's... reading us some of those emails. It's been a while since we've done some on the show. So, Osama, do we have some emails? Yes, we do. Can I read one? Is that sure. okay? I think we have, we time, have time for one. For one. Excellent. Yeah, Let's so. jump in. So we have an email from Victor. And Victor says, um, I've been wondering for a long time what it means to make games as a person who lives in diaspora as opposed to the country or general geographic place their culture is from. I've been in Germany since 1994, but was born in Ukraine. So the question of who I am and what that means for the things I make was always a contested field. What is your respective relationship to making games under the lens of where you are from, the lens of where you currently live, and most interestingly, is is there a difference or conflict between the two? It's a good question. Mm, yeah. Can I take this one first? Yeah. yeah go go I know I've just been talking for like 10 minutes no, straight. It's okay. So here's my opinion on this. My, my opinion in general is the... The first, the first feeling is often a feeling of guilt or responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that's a healthy place to make art from, right? Uh, I, I think for a lot of people that are diaspora, that are from, from cultures that are underrepresented, I think they force themselves to want to make things that are culturally representative. And I think that that is... Uh, an additional challenge, especially if you're in games, it's an additional challenge on top of all the other challenges of existing in the games industry. And it's a responsibility that people that are from uh, that aren't from marginalized or underrepresented backgrounds they they don't face. So they have that as an additional advantage on top of you not being able to express your your culture stories. Um, I think where you where you want to get is to the point where your culture flows into your work naturally. Because you're making genuine work, right? And I remember getting that question for the first time about Vlambeer. Like, Rami, you're, you're Muslim, you're Arab. How does that reflect in your games? And I was making games about fishing with machine guns. As they do and, in the Arab world, right? Yeah, just to, <laughs> uh, and, and, and uh, uh, airplanes doing backflips. And uh, I, I sat for a moment and I realized for the, for the first time at that point that most of Vlambeer's games, when I was at Vlambeer back in the days, are in a post-apocalyptic world. Mm. And despite them being a post-apocalyptic world, there was never a single bottle of alcohol. Because <laughs> I just I just nixed those. As soon as mm. those came up in, in art, I was like, Nope, nope, I would like to not I would like to not have that. So you won't find like empty bottles or like beer or uh, anything Ball else caps which as currency or any exactly of yeah. that that whole thing is just isn't there is that the strongest expression of my culture no is it an expression of my culture yes mm-hmm. right and if you are bicultural right and you're diaspora so you you grew up in in one culture or feel part of a culture but then also feel part of another culture the 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 want to represent both will never work because you can't take those two cultures and then make them into something that represents both of them. You'll represent neither of them. Mm. What you can do is you can represent you and your specific mix of cultural influences. And it really comes down to to what I was saying before. Like you want to be sincere, you want to be genuine and you don't want to force these kinds of things in. You'll find that that they'll sneak in 
that they'll they'll happen to be there in the stories you tell, in the way you tell them, in the characters you create, in the the um, the gameplay and the premises that your your uh, players engage with. And then, if you ever want to, if you ever feel like something is really relevant or important, you can always like push on it a little, but don't don't make it your jumping off point. It's not a it's not a healthy jumping off point. Mm-hmm. I'd actually have to agree. Um, I've given this a lot of thought as well, similarly to you. And what I think it's interesting from cultures, the two things, uh, two broad categories of things that can make their way into our games are the values and the symbols that represent those values. In general, that's what what you see. That's what you feel in the games that come from you. And those things are hard to separate yourself from them. Like the even if you th- you don't think you're having an influence based on your current or your home home cultures, you will have an influence because you're making decisions based on those. So for for me, the way it represents themselves, whenever I had uh, reigns over narrative, which wasn't always the case. Sometimes I only had you know some kind of uh, influence over mechanics or you know like level design, so it, it seeps in there. But the narrative is the one that's more easily felt. Whenever there was the enemies that you fight, if they had enemies, to me they had to be like unintelligent, barely sentient. And the reason for that is because whenever they had a, a form of intelligence, I couldn't vilify them and make them absolutely enemies. There had to be more nuance to it and there had to be politics involved and all these other things because I lived that life of, you know, Arabs being villainized in, in, in media and monsters who are just, you know, they have no redeeming qualities. And I couldn't do that to XYZ other race, whether they were human or otherwise, just because I felt so strongly against it while it came naturally to good people who didn't have that lived experience that I did. So like, but like, that's the values part, right? And in terms of symbols, like whenever you're leaning one way or the other, the alcohol kind of fits in between both, right? <laughs> but right. like, that, that's going to come up too. Whenever you're, you're thinking of motifs or, or designs or something visual, you're set, the, you're, the influence from your cultures, both of them are going to seep in. So in addition to what Rami said, that's a one way to think about it is to, the separation of those two things, the values and the symbols. And of course, most things fall somewhere in between. I love both of your guys' answers. Uh, yeah, it's uh, such a cool way to approach this. Uh, for me, like I, I can only like add to what you said because like I agree with everything that you've said. And uh, mine is a bit also more complex, uh, I guess, just because of the different environments I've been at and the kind of different <laughs> different <laughs> games I've ha- I've had to make. So I can when I when I made my first game as an independent developer. As a team in Jordan, the first game we wanted to make was an RPG, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, we made an RPG, a JRPG of, uh, you know, like a turn-based uh, RPG inspired Something by Chrono small. Trigger. Something small. <laughs> um, but it was about a group of, uh, you know, Bedouins in the desert. And we tried to, uh, we spent a lot of time trying to get the Game Boy Advance to, uh, to do Arabic font. So like mm. immediately, like, you know, because we were like an all Arab team based in in Jordan, we immediately went to make a game that represented our culture directly. Mm. That was like, you know, the first demo or the first thing that we put together. <laughs> a game that obviously we never finished for, for, for good reasons. This mm. is why you never start with an RPG if it's your first game, I guess. <laughs> um, 
But then, like, you know, um, throughout the course of my career, like, I've been more of a professional developer. So, like, you know, making games that are not targeted for me. So there was a there was a time in which, like, I was making a game in Japan, and the game was about collecting uh, characters. And uh, th- that game was never released outside of Japan, by the way, and you'll know why in a second. It's called Yurukami, and it was a co-development we did with Square Enix. Um, you collected characters, and each one of those characters represented a different dialect from a different part of Japan. So um, every one of those characters that you collected, like they spoke in a different accent or dialect um, of Japanese, basically. Um, <laughs> pretty hard to, um, and also, I wouldn't say appropriate, to have a part of me that's representing my culture in that game. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's almost a, a part of uh, being a professional to some extent is to know as you're making those games, when is it appropriate to uh, to represent? And when is it appropriate to uh, focus more on the subject matter of the game that's, uh, that is uh, supposed to be? And I spoke on this podcast on many... Um, <laughs> Uh, different times in which like there were games that have a lot of Arabic elements within them and how like you know by me being on the team then I need to make sure that they all pass the Ramita <laughs> you know <laughs> and um, therefore like you know because I'm involved or like part of that uh, part of that game like I can add a lot of uh, of my culture of who makes me me really in a lot of my games and ultimately it's that you know as creators of regardless of the medium, uh, we can't create what we don't know. And ultimately, there's always going to be a part of us in every game that we make. It might not be a representation of uh, of culture, but it will be a representation of uh, thought that is yeah. uh, presented in that game in some way. Things mm. we like, things we dislike, a representation of our values. And I think it will be very difficult for any of us to be able to put something in a game that goes directly against our values. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, I guess, is um, the one way you can find or trace back like uh, most developers into their games. And I believe that, you know, regardless of the size of the project, and sometimes it could be games of hundreds of people, um, there's a little bit of everybody on that team in the game in some way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That sums it up really well. I think that's a solid answer if you consider all three of our answers that just stack onto each other like Voltron to form this <laughs> mega answer. What a question, though. I love it. Yeah, I never, I never really thought about it in that way. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing your, your perspectives on it because I instantly agreed with them. But again, different thought process than mine, right? Yeah. Also, like a very different journeys. Yeah. Um, very, very different and very similar in a lot of ways. So I always found that um, interesting when when we answer a question like this. How like we come at it from different angles, but from the same spirit in some way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you, um, uh, Victor. Was it for sending Victor. this email? Yes. It's pretty cool. Uh, but that's all the time we have today, actually. Just with one question, we also went over time. I think uh, uh, that there's meetings to be had and stuff like that. Yes, yes. Uh, time to put a dolly on this one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Habibis. We'll be back again next week, inshallah, with more. But for the time being, salam. Salam. Salam.
that was the Habibis podcast for this week. I am Fawzi Masmar, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Fawzi Masmar. My fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias, and Rami Ismail, who you can find on Twitter at THA underscore Rami. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. Intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubaila, and the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea, with new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcasting service, or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening. Salaam.